Kia ora and welcome to Auckland Council Heritage Unit's series of podcasts about Auckland's hidden histories. We'll be sharing some stories about Auckland places, people and animals that you might not have heard about before. These stories have come out of the historical research that we do in our daily work. I am Rebecca Freeman, Senior Specialist Historic Heritage at Auckland Council. And I'm Marguerite Hill, Heritage Researcher. In this episode, we're going to talk about the hidden histories of Queen Street. We will look at just a few aspects of Queen Street's history and heritage. We will talk about the geology of Queen Street and how Aucklanders have used Queen Street as a place to protest. The landform of Queen Street has been shaped by both natural and man-made forces. In this episode, we'll explore the ways the Waihoratu Stream, Albert Park Volcano and early land reclamations impacted the Queen Street we now know. The Waihoratu Stream. Flowing beneath Queen Street is the remnant of the Waihoratu Stream, which drains the Queen Street Valley watershed. The watershed is generally defined by the three ridges we now call Simon Street, Albert Street and Karangahapi Road. The source of the Waihoratu is a small swamp which is now Myers Park, and the stream discharges into the sea beneath the ferry building. The stream was originally tidal up to Durham Lane and was also navigable as far as Wyndham Street. Sources indicate that at the time of European arrival, the creek was unspoiled, apart from some changes to the vegetation which had been undertaken by Maori. The Waihortu had been used by both Maori and Europeans as a source of fresh water and as a place to catch fish and eels up to the early 1840s. Shortly after, however, surveyor Felton Matthew identified the Waihortu as a potential sewer for the fledgling colony, and indeed this is what became of it. During the first 30 years of European settlement, the stream caused settlers problems and hampered the development of Auckland. Small swamps occurred where side streams joined the main creek and also at the mouth of the stream. Buildings and fences sometimes acted as dams, causing flooding, and the stream slowly deteriorated as it filled with rubbish and effluent. In 1842, Charles Ligar, who had replaced Felton Matthew as surveyor, made the first attempt to improve the Waihoratu, He oversaw the diversion of the stream into an artificial waterway called the Queen Street Sewer that ran along the western side of Queen Street from Wyndham Street to the sea. His efforts were inadequate and the open sewer continued to cause problems. Upset colonists began to refer to the new sewer as the Ligar Canal and this name went into common usage. The sides of the sewer were originally unsupported and the edges would crumble if people, animals or carriages got too close. Around 1844, the top was covered with wooden planks, and many people actually enjoyed this new promenade. In 1845, however, conditions had deteriorated again, and Ligard tried to improve the sewer by overseeing further works. The sewer was dug into a standard ditch shape with a flat bottom and sloping sides, and was about six feet wide and four feet deep. The walls were supported by wooden planks and bearers, and part of the sewer was lined with basalt stones. Not long after these works were completed, a flood washed away most of the wooden supports, and for the next 25 years or so, the government invested only in further temporary fixes. By 1871, the newly formed Auckland City Council finally decided to invest in a more permanent solution. Tenders were called in 1873 for a brick barrel drain. Once this drain was completed, it not not only contained the Waihoratu stream, but also groundwater, stormwater, and human excrement. The double-skin brick barrel drain is still located beneath Queen Street and still contains the Waihoratu. 
Next, we'll talk about lava flows. Around 145,000 years ago, a volcanic eruption formed a small cone approximately where the former magistrate's court is located on Kitchener Street. Lava oozed from the western base of the cone down to the Queen Street Valley floor, which partially blocked the Waihoratu stream, creating a peat swamp that underlies Queen Street from Victoria Street West to Wellesley Street. This swamp is still present and continues to create issues for the foundations of buildings constructed in this area. To the north of Victoria Street, excavations for new buildings often encounter hard basalt from this eruption. And finally, land reclamation. The reclamation of the foreshore was once a significant commercial activity in Auckland. To a certain extent, it was an exercise in land speculation, with blocks of land being sold prior to reclamation taking place. However, establishing wharves and developing a port was of key importance to the early colonial government, and this drove many of the changes to Auckland's landform, including cutting down hills and cliffs and quarrying volcanoes, in addition to reclaiming land. The first reclamation began around 1859 and involved the infilling of Commercial Bay to create more flatland for development. This reclamation of three and a half hectares had been planned from the time of initial European settlement and was completed by 1861. Land was filled in using waste from building projects, scoria quarried from the volcanic cones, including the nearby Albert Park volcano, and even included the piles of the original Queen Street jetty, which had been built in 1846 and which was rediscovered during archaeological investigation in 2003. The reclamation of Commercial Bay resulted in the extension of Queen Street from Fort Street, which was originally called Four Street because it marked the foreshore, to the newly formed Custom House Street, which is now Custom Street East, and had the effect of hastening the gradual shift of the main commercial area from Shortland Street to Queen Street. From 1879 to 1886, Queen Street was extended again through the reclamation that formed what we now know as the Brittlemart Precinct. This area included seven and a half hectares of land and extended Queen Street from Custom House Street to Key Street. While no further extensions to Queen Street were made through land reclamation after 1886, the wharf itself was extended and enlarged at various points to such an extent that buildings could be built along the wharf itself, which gave the effect of extending the commercial area. Queen's Wharf is no longer an operating wharf, but is now used as a public open space. Thank you, Rebecca. Queen Street has been Auckland's main street for over 100 years. Queen Street teems with intangible heritage, events that have happened there but have left no physical mark. It's a gathering place for people and it has become the place for Aucklanders to parade, protest and celebrate. Now we'll look at just a few of the occasions that people have gathered on Queen Street to celebrate and protest. We'll start with some celebrations. The first is the 1995 Tickatake Parade for Team New Zealand. In May 1995, 350,000 people came out to show their pride in Team New Zealand's America's Cup victory, packing Queen Street and showering it with ticker tape and streamers. It was only the second time that the United States had lost the trophy in 144 years, and it was the first time that New Zealand had won. Australia won it the first time. Team New Zealand crew members were driven on open vehicles, including utes, alongside the trophy. People crowded for a touch or a handshake, waved banners and threw streamers. Sir Peter Blake later said that his wife was still finding confetti in his pockets weeks later. 
Twelve years later, in 2017, it was reported that 80,000 people came to watch Team New Zealand celebrate their latest victory in another parade down Queen Street, and we'll see what happens next year. Another favourite parade is the Santa Parade. Generations of Auckland children have waited with bated breath for Santa to arrive. Auckland's first Santa Parade was in 1934, and apart from a gap for the Second World War, Santa and friends have paraded through Auckland every Christmas since. In the 1960s, Santa's float was pulled by ponies, and many of the floats were based on nursery rhymes. Farmers' staff were enlisted to dress as lions, fairies and clowns, and there were marching girls and pipe bands. The kinds of floats and the associated entertainment has changed through the years. Now there are Disney and Transformers floats, although pipe bands and Santa are a constant. Many of the floats are works of art and engineering. Auckland Libraries has some great images of past Santa parades you can relive online. Queen Street has also been the site of some quite different events. It has even been the site of two riots, one in 1932 and the other one in 1984. There is a legal definition of a riot. You might have heard the term reading the Riot Act. This was enshrined in New Zealand law until 1987 when the need to actually read out the Riot Act was removed. After these two Queen Street riots, two people were charged with inciting a riot. The first of these riots occurred during the Depression. On the 14th of April 1932, during the worst of the Depression, Queen Street saw the biggest in a series of national protests by unemployed men. At the time, there were about 52,000 unemployed men in New Zealand, women weren't counted, from a population of about one and a half million. There were also protests in Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin at about the same time. The Auckland riot began when 15,000 Post and Telegraph Association members and unemployed men marched peacefully up Queen Street to a public meeting at the Town Hall. The march included both men and women. If you look carefully at the photographs of the protest, you can see women amongst the sea of hats. Post and Telegraph workers were protesting a second wage cut and loss of other benefits. Once the Town Hall was full, some people were turned away and there were altercations with the police outside the town hall. Violence flared when one of the speakers, Jim Edwards, was struck by a police baton. He was badly injured, but the crowd believed that he had been killed. The crowd turned on the police, gathering up fence palings from a nearby church and stones from the mini golf course in the Civic, now Aotea Square. 250 shop windows in Queen Street were smashed, jewellery, liquor, clothing, tobacco and even condoms were looted from the shops. Hundreds of people were injured, with Edwards needing 30 stitches, and 35 people were arrested for looting. It took several hours for the police and the Navy to restore order. Anger flared again the next night, this time on Karangahapi Road, where more people were injured and arrested. Special constables were brought in to keep the peace, and outdoor meetings were temporarily banned. Jim Edwards was eventually convicted of inciting the riot and was sentenced to two years hard labour at Mount Eden Prison. He went on to run for Auckland City Council as a Communist Party candidate, but was unsuccessful. Again, you can check out Auckland Libraries for some great images of the public meeting and the damage in the aftermath of the riot. The second riot was in 1984 and is known as the Queen Street Riot. On the 7th of December, an end of school year concert featuring Herbs and Dave Dobbins band DD Smash turned into two hours of chaos and violence. About 10,000 people have been enjoying Herbs and the Mockers play at Aotea Square during the afternoon. After a power failure during Dee Dee Smash's set, 
Some of the crowd started getting restless and some people started throwing bottles at the police. After a group of young men were arrested for urinating off the veranda of the Wellesley Street Post Office, things got more heated. Riot police were sent in and the police asked the organisers to shut down the concert. Instead of dispersing, about 3,000 people surged down Queen Street and started wreaking havoc, with some flipping cars and threatening to firebomb a police van. Like in 1932, shop windows were smashed and shops were looted for cigarettes. Apparently Woolworths also lost a lot of chewing gum. 42 police were injured by flying glass and rocks and a million dollars worth of property damage was done. A commission of inquiry found that alcohol, including the sale of alcohol to minors, was the main cause of the riot and New Zealand's liquor laws were amended in response. Issues with crowd control and management of the event were also highlighted. Dobbin, who was charged with inciting the riot over a comment he allegedly made from the stage, was cleared of all charges. Queen Street has also been the site of peaceful protests. Just last year, there were several student-led climate change protests on Queen Street. In May 2019, thousands of school students protested climate change inaction by marching from Aotea Square down Queen Street. They were part of the school strike for climate. About 2,000 students participated in the protest and lions, which were designed to encourage leaders to wake up to the climate crisis. To minimise disruption of traffic, the four lions took place between intersections. These are just a few of the times Aucklanders have gathered on Queen Street. Thousands have lined the streets to farewell and to welcome home soldiers, to celebrate peace, to condemn nuclear testing and to support sports teams and graduates. And these are just a few of the stories that Queen Street has to tell. I'd like to acknowledge NZ HistoryNet and Tiara, the Encyclopedia of New Zealand, as well as Auckland Libraries. You can check out these sites for more about parades and protests in Auckland. Thank you for listening to our podcast on the hidden histories of Queen Street. If you enjoyed this, you can check out our other podcasts about the hidden histories of Auckland, including Tom the Elephant, the life and work of Simone Nathan, and other Queen Street stories.